Welcome to the Top of the Pile podcast, where you'll find some of the most interesting authors in conversation about everything from their lives, their books, and their big ideas. From health, science, and true crime, to fiction, history, and romance, we'll bring you fascinating conversations about subjects you never even knew about, and some that you do. You can also get more bookish recommendations by subscribing to the Top of the Pile newsletter. Just visit simonandschuster.com.au to join our mailing list. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. I'm Dr. Claire Bailey, and I'm chatting with Dr. Michael Mosley, who's well known as creator of the 5-2 diet. He also happens to be my husband. We trained together at medical school and have since written various books together, so I'm delighted to be here interviewing him for Top of the Pile. And I'm delighted to be here being interviewed. (laughs) Now, uh, Michael's recently written a book, a new book, Clever Guts Diet, and he's going to tell us about that. Um, But just before we do, this all started, your your, um, book and recipe producing started when you were diagnosed as having type 2 diabetes. Can you tell us about that? Yes, that was five years ago. And as you probably remember, I came back from the doctors. I'd been there for a random blood test and um, she rang me up later to tell me that my bloods were in the diabetic range. And um, she offered me medication, which was kind of standard treatment and um, considered completely appropriate because type 2 diabetes was seen as an irreversible disease, so you need to start on the medicine. But uh, I wasn't prepared to accept the diagnosis because I'd seen my father die quite early on as a result of complications of type 2 diabetes. And that led me to make a Horizon program called Eat Fast, Live Longer, where I discovered intermittent fasting. And you can probably remember um, my coming back and enthusing about this research I'd come across and how there were all these benefits from cutting your calories down to about 600 a day. I can't remember if you thought it was a good idea or a bad idea at the time. I was fairly sceptical, having seen lots of diets come and go. And um, as a GP myself, I uh, had... Uh, you know, diabetes we saw as a chronic condition which people just gradually, you know, added more medication and blood sugars as blood sugars went up as they got older. And so there was no uh, thought about it being something that could be uh, improved and reversed by diet. So, no, I was quite sceptical. I think also, you know, neither of us learnt anything much about nutrition at medical school. It's not what they teach at medical school then or now. It's not taught in Australia. It's not taught in America either. No, I think we learnt nothing. I don't. I don't remember any. I mean, you were at the same. You're sitting in the same courses as me, and I don't remember any training at all on it. I think we we're broadly told that eggs were going to kill you, and that <laughs> uh, we should eat low fat, and it was probably about it. So um, I was quite sceptical about fasting um, in any forms, but I kind of did it, and I think we were both very surprised uh, by how well I did on it. Mm. I lost to ten kilos, reversed my blood sugar levels. And then I think we're also rather astonished <laughs> how well the 5-2 is embraced and how it kind of took off in the form of the fast diet. Uh, but I guess I always wanted to know why it had happened. Why had my blood sugars returned to normal? And that led me to meeting uh, Professor Roy Taylor up in uh, Newcastle University. And he's done all these studies Um, demonstrating you can reverse type 2 diabetes and you can certainly prevent pre-diabetics, people whose blood sugar levels are raised but not yet in the diabetic range, from progressing onto 
type 2 diabetes. And I must admit, writing the eight-week blood sugar diet was, for me, one of the more important things I've done because it is so important to help type 2 diabetics improve. And I think you were surprised by how swiftly, firstly, I had changed, but also when you started using this with your patients. Mm, I mean, working at the coalface, so to speak, it's been incredibly rewarding to see how it really has transformed a lot of people's lives. Um, But you're really here to talk about Clever Guts, your new book. Indeed. Each of these books, in a way, has been an extension of the previous one. It's taken on things I've learned from the previous one. So in the eight-week blood sugar diet, and indeed in your recipe book, which was kind of a follow-on from the eight-week blood sugar diet, we started to focus in on the Mediterranean diet as being a really sort of healthy way of life. And this was based on a big study done in Spain where they showed how much better it was for you than the traditional low-fat diet. And this is a diet which is rich in fruit and veggies, uh, has plenty of oily fish, but also has lots of olive oil, the odd glass of red wine, nuts, full-fat cheese, full-fat yogurt, and a little bit of pasta, but not very much. So the traditional things we were told to eat, the sort of heavy, starchy carbs like rice, pasta, and potatoes are broadly pushed to one side and replaced by more veggie stuff. That's been quite a change for you because uh, (laughs) I I do remember you being kind of limited on your enjoyment of vegetables, not very keen on fish. Absolutely. No, I I hated fish. I um, uh, In my childhood, I was fed fish and um, uh, I really, really, it was a classic English school where the fish was cold and in some horrible white sauce. And that kind of completely, oh, God, some (laughs) of those English meals from school, they still, you know, uh, and all forms of um, legumes and lentils and things like that were forever destroyed uh, my taste, um, school experience. I've had to revisit and relive them. But what I discovered is partly when I'm, you know, cut my calories when I'm doing the intermittent fasting and partly if I have less pasta and potatoes, then I am much keener to fuel up on the veggies. They become not so much that bit of the meal which you push to one side, but they actually become the main dominant feature of the meal, along with um, a bit of meat or a bit of red meat and things like that. But the thing about the Clever Guts diet is it is a progression because, in a way, there's a slightly different focus. It is based on the Mediterranean diet, uh, but it also incorporates other cuisines from people who live really long and healthy lives. So there is yogurt, but there is also kefir, which is a sort of yogurt on steroids almost. There are fermented foods from part of Eastern Europe, such as sauerkraut, Uh, But there is also the stuff which comes from Japan and particularly from South Korea, like kimchi. And um, what is striking about these foods is the impact it has not just on your health, but on your microbiome, on these gut bacteria. And that for me has been uh, one of the most exciting things I've come across in the past several decades. And what was interesting writing the book is I realized that actually I had been involved in this research for well over 20 years, because the first um, science film I ever made was about an Australian called Barry Marshall, who famously swallowed um, a potion of the stuff called Helicobacter pylori and demonstrated that by doing so, he could induce ulcers in himself. And at that time, ulcers were seen as the product of stress. But he was saying, actually, it's the product of being infected by a bacteria that no one had heard about before. 
And so I made a film with Barry. He went on, won the Nobel Prize. I got into self-experimentation, which is kind of what I'm famous for on telly. But the whole sort of microbiome revolution was also kind of launched in a funny way in that moment because people realised that there was stuff going on in your gut. And it was always bacteria. rather assumed that the bacteria were killed as it went through the stomach acid, wasn't it? And Absolutely. The idea is you've got this would... stomach bath, it's full of acid, anything that comes in gets snuffed off, and yes, there are, you know, these one to two kilos of microbes in your gut, but frankly, they're a bit boring. Who cares? And who cares? And they probably, they help protect you from other microbes that make their way in. They make a few vitamins, but really, that's about it. And then it really took off about four or five years ago when they started to develop techniques for being able to study these bacteria and these other microbes and see what they're up to. And it turns out they're up to an extraordinary range of things. I mean, really, it is mind-boggling what they do and the impact they have on the body, and um, particularly the old friends, which are the microbes in your gut, which I write about quite extensively because, unfortunately, like a lot of old friends, we sometimes lose them as we get older. And um, like the rainforest, which we have decimated, we've also got rid of an awful lot of the good bacteria in our gut by bombing them with antibiotics and also hitting them with the sort of things you find in fast foods, that some of the emulsifiers, which are almost a form of detergent, which you find in fast food, which is there to kind of give them shelf life and mouthfeel. Um, those things have mm. really devastated and the, the high sugar diet, and the high sugar high exactly. starch diet we're eating. Turns out the diet we've been eating has been dreadful uh, for the healthy bacteria. And as a result, we've seen this sort of surge in gut-related problems like irritable bowel uh, disease, um, also uh, inflammatory bowel diseases, also allergies, eczema, asthma. And they're all, it turns out, rooted in your bowel. And even more than that, things like depression anxiety, things which we assume are social in origin, well, it turns out that the microbes have a hand there as well. Even the decisions, the food decisions you make, the cravings, I must have that burger, I desperately want those sugary sweets. Well, it turns out that the microbes in your gut are sending signals up. So that's kind of <laughs> disturbing. But the good news is you can change it. You can kind of shift the balance of the microbes so that they no longer work against you, but for you. And that is also, I think, just a mind-boggling bit of science, but with a hugely practical impact. So how would you how might you go about improving your microbiome if you're going to if you've been eating a pretty poor diet and have a few symptoms here and there of the gut, what would you do? What would you recommend? Well, broadly it depends on what the state of your gut is at the moment. So if it is currently inflamed if you have something like IBS or IBD, what you might want to do is, and I write about it in the book, is go through a sort of two-stage process. Because the first thing you're going to want to do is sort of calm the gut down. And that means perhaps removing some foods, because there are certain foods uh, which when you have an inflamed gut are quite irritating to the gut. And that may include gluten, some grains, some dairy products. And you kind of remove those for a little while and then you start to reintroduce them and you discover which, if any of these, are causing irritation and you monitor. As I said, I go into that in some detail. But once your gut is relatively healthy, 
or if you are currently, you know, feeling a little bit off, but uh, you're broadly healthy, then I would very strongly recommend um, a diet which is based, as I said, on the Mediterranean diet. That means lots of different uh, colored vegetables and things like that, uh, more olive oil, more nuts, and um, a whole range of different fibers, but some of them are sort of really interesting fibers, stuff called inulin, which you find in garlic, onions, and things like that. So in the book, I go in considerable depth into the different foods and what they do. And the fibre seems to be what you need to get down, is that right, to the large bowel to feed those good bacteria up? Absolutely, because down in your large intestine, in your colon, uh, there are about 50 trillion microbes and about a 1,000 different species. So this is a more complex ecosystem than you would find in the Amazon rainforest. And it's all there, it's all hidden, and it's all doing stuff. And ideally, you want a kind of a real diversity of microbes down there, and uh, you want a predominance of what I would describe as old friends. These are particular microbes uh, that we evolved with and which we know are incredibly good for our health because uh, you feed them, and then they produce what you might almost describe as bacterial poo because they produce chemicals out of the stuff they feed on. And uh, these chemicals, uh, when they're produced by the good bacteria, are often very good for our health. They're things like butyrate. They reduce inflammation in the gut. But even more widespread than that, they seem to have an impact on your risk of things like type 2 diabetes and uh, also obesity. There's, um, there's really good evidence, in fact, that the bacteria in your gut can strongly influence whether you are overweight or not. And you talk in the book as well about ways of improving, uh, of boosting those bacteria, with probiotics, prebiotics. Absolutely. There's a lot of a world of confusion about these things. People have heard of probiotics. Probiotics are the kind of the good bacteria. And, um, you know, you find them in food. You can get them these days in capsule forms. What I would say is along with all the hope, there is an awful lot of hype. So very few of these probiotics which you buy on the supermarket shelves have any science behind them. And indeed, when they are tested, they're rarely successful. What I do in the book is I go into the evidence behind the few which really do have decent science. And surprisingly enough, for example, there are certain strains of bacteria in form of probiotics that have been shown, for example, to improve things like hay fever. And if I was going to go and I had to take antibiotics, I would certainly aim to take probiotics with them, but they'd have to be a very specific type of probiotic. And you can see, they're listed on the book, but I also have a website, cleverguts.com, where there is some of this information. So I see the book and the um, website is complementary because they will kind of evolve together. So probiotics you can also get in the form of food. So particularly fermented foods, uh, they're very rich in probiotics. And that can include things like smelly cheeses, Uh, A little bit of dark chocolate is kind of good for you. But there are also foods which um, we may be less familiar with, but which uh, Asians would know much more about. And those would include uh, foods like, as I said, sauerkraut, kimchi, and kefir. And, you know, yogurt again, uh, a nice full-fat yogurt, uh, which is rich in bacteria, uh, they're going to be really soothing for the gut. And actually, talking, following on from the full-fat yoghurt, there's quite a move to uh, natu- using more natural oils away from the low-fat 
diet. It, it, uh, can you go into that a little bit more? No, absolutely. There have been a number of really good nutritional studies which have shown very, very strongly that the Mediterranean diet is much better for you than a low-fat diet. And by Mediterranean diet, I do mean one which has quite a lot of fat in it. But it's fat in the form of things like olive oil and oily fish and oily nuts and things like that. Also eggs, full-fat cheese, full-fat yogurt. And these things which have been largely shunned, it now turns out that all the time, uh, these were the healthy things. And the things which we should have been eating less of were particularly the sugary carbs. But frankly, it's also things which are rapidly turned by your gut into sugar. And that would include things like pasta and potatoes and white rice. So uh, I'm slightly more on a limb with these because nutritionists will tell tell you to pile up your plates with it. But actually, that's not what the evidence says. The evidence is quite strong now that um, you want to be slightly lower carb and the carbs you want to eat are the complex ones, um, which are the sort of the vegetables and particularly the legumes, which are things like the kidney beans and hummus and uh, the other things like that. It's interesting that the... um Patients who I see come back delighted or are delighted to be able to reintroduce a lot of the um, nuts and eggs and some some dairy products um, back into their diet and come and come back saying it's been a diet that they can do because they feel satiated, they feel full on it. So they feel less like snacking. Mm. And the good thing about it is I know that many of your patients are not well off. This is not a diet which is just for the super fatty. This is not a book which contains, I mean, you, you created most of the recipes for this book. And so you were broadly aiming at food which was satisfying, interesting, varied, but not expensive or complex. And could basically be bought in hopefully local supermarkets um, and put together fairly quickly because, you know, none of us have time. A lot of us don't have time to spend a lot of time cooking and preparing. I've had to do a bit of a vault fast on a couple of things because I always assumed that things like turmeric or turmeric and apple cider vinegar were a bit, you know, faddish. And then uh, when I've been um, doing this um, series, Trust Me, I'm a Doctor, which is on SBS and also on the BBC, we actually put some of these foods to the test and, wow, it turned out that there was something to them. That um, turmeric has obviously been used in Asian cuisine for a long time and it really does have an anti-inflammatory effect. And when we tested it on a range of people, we also found that it actually changed the DNA um, of certain genes uh, and these are genes associated with inflammation, with allergy and with cancer. So uh, I had to uh, swallow my turmeric at that point and accept that there really was something in it, which is, again, why quite a few of the recipes have it. And again, apple cider vinegar, uh, it turns out that having a little shot, you know, first thing in the morning uh, can lower your blood sugar levels, which is kind of a good thing. And also um, there's evidence it lowers cholesterol. So... Uh, uh, again, there are recipes which have uh, apple cider vinegar in it. Particularly using the live versions, if possible, again, because it's a fermented it's a fermented food. It's a fermented. I know you've been busy <laughs> doing fermented foods, but again, I regard fermented foods as a bit faddish, a bit weird, a bit odd. It's been and great fun, I have to you, say, lining I, <laughs> them up. I set myself a task of doing a ferment every day, and I thought it would be kind of rather tedious, but actually... It was really good fun, incredibly sort of quick and easy to do. It's much less complex and, you know, really it's a matter of chopping stuff up finely and um, 
cramming it into a jar with a bit of salt and some flavourings. If you um, go to cleverguts.com, you'll see Claire in action uh, preparing purple sauerkraut um, from scratch and doing the whole thing in about three or four minutes. Obviously, the fermenting itself takes longer, but it's really nice and it tastes so much better than the shop-bought stuff. Plus, you know you're going to get uh, lots of delicious live bacteria, a big range of them and in high concentration, which sadly cannot be said for some of those jars of pasteurized sauerkraut because I actually did an experiment where we sent it off to be tested and a number of them had nothing living in them. So there is a thing to be said either about kind of buying your sauerkraut fresh from somebody who actually makes it or make it yourself. And as I said, uh, if you go and watch the video, you'll see how easy it is to do. And I have to say, it's delicious. What I love about the Clever Guts diet and, the, you know, is the fact that it is utterly, utterly delicious as well as being good for you. Thank you, Michael. Really interesting, fun to have a face-to-face chat about this, not <laughs> over the breakfast table. <laughs> Absolutely weird, I have to say, to be doing so in a soundproof booth. But uh, <laughs> we'll continue the conversation afterwards. And Michael's new book, The Clever Guts Diet, is out now. So thank you for joining us.